Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 48, Sleep and Driving. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Linden. Want to decrease the odds of being at fault in a motor vehicle crash by 1,410%? In this week's episode, I explore the relationship between your sleep health and your driving. So how big of a problem is this really? Well, AAA estimates that over 325,000 car crashes a year in the U.S. are the result of drowsy driving, including about 6,400 deaths a year from drowsy driving. And that's compared to about 10,000 deaths a year from drunk driving. One 2020 study actually directly compared the effects of sleepiness to alcohol on driving performance. The researchers had 30 volunteers do a driving simulator, tracking metrics like lane changes and reaction speed. The driving simulation was performed under three different conditions for each participant. Under normal, fully rested conditions. Then, again, after 24 hours of straight, continuous wakefulness i.e. missing one night of sleep, and then lastly, under the effects of alcohol. And each assessment was done several weeks apart to allow for sufficient recovery of rest and wake patterns in between. And actually, each assessment was done twice under each condition, a fully rested, sleep-deprived, and under the influence of alcohol. Once for a baseline, and then a second time after drinking a standardized amount of coffee to assess for any mitigating effect of caffeine on driving performance. For the alcohol condition, participants were provided white wine, a Sauvignon Blanc, if you're interested, and they kept drinking the wine, periodically undergoing a breath analyzer check until a target level of blood alcohol was reached, of 0.26, which is about three times the legal limit for driving. So how did the drivers do? Well, you probably guessed correctly that under sleep deprivation conditions, they did a lot worse than when they were rested. And not surprisingly, having some caffeine did help, but just a little bit. And it didn't get them anywhere close to normal. But the surprising finding was that compared to having a blood alcohol level more than three times the legal limit, drivers actually performed far worse on every measure when they were sleep-deprived compared to when they were hammered. Let me say that again. In this small but well-controlled study of 30 individuals, each of them drove considerably worse after being awake for 24 hours straight than when they were drunk. Now, there is certainly no competition between which irresponsible behavior is better at causing road traffic accidents and death, but the evidence indicates that the dangers of impairment in driving ability from sleep problems 
is at least on par with drunk driving, despite the latter getting far more attention. So what kinds of sleep trouble are associated with driving impairment? One 2020 cross-sectional survey of thousands of drivers found a couple key issues. Specifically, the authors were curious about what factors may influence whether a driver nods off at the wheel, whether a driver was involved in a sleep-related crash, or a sleep-related near-miss. A couple factors have been well-established, being younger and being male. In fact, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety reports that drivers under 20 years old are about three times more likely to end up in a crash than drivers over the age of 65. And while a little over 49% of drivers are male, about 80% of drivers involved in a crash are male. But what the researchers found in this 2020 survey was that being moderately sleepy about doubled the risk of being involved in a sleep-related crash, and having severe sleepiness increased the risk by about 2.4-fold, and even just experiencing subjectively poor quality sleep increased the risk by about 2.1 times that a driver would report being involved in a sleep-related crash in the past 12 months. Smaller studies done over the last 25 years demonstrated that drivers with a history of insomnia are about 2.5 times more likely to be involved in a sleep-related crash. And unfortunately, the way that too many cases of insomnia are handled is with a class of medicines known as the sedative hypnotics, which we explored back in episode 25. In a post-mortem study of Canadian drivers killed in crashes between 2000 and 2010, over 11% of them tested positive for sedative hypnotics. A separate study found that driving impairment was 160% more likely when there were at least trace levels of sedative hypnotics in the driver's blood. And the driving impairment was 375% more likely when at least moderate traces of sedative hypnotics were found in the driver's blood. Other studies have found that drivers who take sedative hypnotics are 40% more likely to be found at fault in a car crash compared to non-users. And when sedative hypnotic users are involved in a crash, that crash is 2.3 times more likely to result in a fatality than when non-sedative hypnotic users are involved in a crash. A pooled analysis of four studies of the sedative hypnotic called Zopiclone demonstrated impaired driving 11 hours after the dose was taken, leading to a doubling of the risk of driving impairment, the equivalent of a blood alcohol level of 0.08, the legal limit, again 11 hours after the dose was taken. Several studies of the sedative hypnotic Zolpidem have also demonstrated that it causes significant impairment in the ability to stay within the lane, maintain speed, and maintain alertness in healthy drivers the morning after dosing. Furthermore, the Food and Drug Administration added a black box warning to Zolpidem and the other Z drug, sedative hypnotics, because it has been well established that they increase the risk for all sorts of unusual sleep behaviors, not just sleepwalking, but even sleep driving, which has led to unnecessary deaths. And the sedative hypnotics are obviously not just a problem in the U.S. The International Council on Alcohol, Drugs, and Traffic Safety has classified 22 different benzodiazepines and zopiclone as causing severe driving impairment, plus an additional 9 benzodiazepines and the remaining Z drugs of zolpidem and zaloplon as causing at least moderate driving impairment when taken within 10 hours of getting behind the wheel. That means that if you take an Ambien around 10 p.m. and then are commuting to work the next morning by 8 a.m., you are still moderately impaired. And driving impaired is just unnecessarily risky. A 2013 study of roadside drug and alcohol testing found that there was more than a doubling of the risk for motor vehicle crashes 
when sleep aids were detected. Specifically, they found that the detection of zolpidem was associated with a 2.2 times increased likelihood of being involved in a motor vehicle crash, and zolpiclone was associated with a 2.3 times increased risk of getting into a crash. But it's not just drugs that increase this risk. I've discussed several times before the most common source of feeling poorly rested, of insomnia, of daytime sleepiness and fatigue. As discussed in episode 46, something that large population studies demonstrated affects 83.8% of men and 60.8% of women, about 72% of all adults. And that something is sleep-disordered breathing, most commonly in the form of obstructive sleep apnea. Back in the mid-90s, studies of professional drivers, which really means commercial truck drivers, not the Daytona 500 kind, when these professional drivers had at least mild sleep apnea, they had doubled the crash rate per mile driven compared to those who were tested and found not to have sleep apnea. Commercial vehicle operators, these professional operators of trucks, buses, rail, air, and maritime travel, are at the center of a bit of controversy here in the U.S. Especially after major crashes like the Green Line in Boston in 2008, train derailing in New York in 2013, or the crash that injured comedian Tracy Morgan back in 2014, these cases cause a public outcry reinforced by public health providers. They also prompted the National Transportation Safety Board to issue numerous recommendations regarding the screening and treatment of sleep apnea in commercial vehicle operators. This is in part due to the fact that the statistical majority of commercial vehicle operators are obese, far more than the general population, and with nearly 40% qualifying as morbidly obese, which are major risk factors for both sleep apnea and daytime sleepiness, regardless of sleep apnea status. Transportation authorities across Europe, Australia, and Canada have developed sleep apnea regulations specifically for commercial vehicle operators. However, in the U.S., the opposite trend has been occurring, with greater push for deregulation of drivers. Particularly, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration has repeatedly refused to provide any guidance or regulation on this issue, instead putting the onus on the individual medical examiners to determine if the driver's sleep status is, quote, in any way likely to interfere with the driver's ability to safely control and drive a commercial motor vehicle. And relying on drivers to provide an answer that may jeopardize his or her livelihood, given the requirements for drivers who are diagnosed, it is not a system that is likely to yield a lot of volunteers for sleep apnea screening. So without formal guidance for the DOT medical examiners, there is a patchwork of screening, with each individual examiner recommending screening based primarily on his or her familiarity with sleep medicine, which in this country accounts for about an hour of formal education across four years of medical school and at least three years of postgraduate training and residency. So it's no surprise, then, that the overwhelming majority of drivers are never screened, despite the data demonstrating that even in the far less obese population, the rates of sleep apnea are shockingly high. Untreated obstructive sleep apnea costs the U.S. economy hundreds of billions of dollars per year, and commercial drivers are no exception to this. Treatment of sleep apnea has been shown to reduce motor vehicle crashes, reduce associated costs, and reduce fatalities. Conversely, drivers who are not adherent to sleep apnea treatment have a five-fold higher risk of serious preventable crashes. In fact, a 2019 study evaluated the outcomes of an employer-mandated sleep apnea screening program among its drivers. And what they found is remarkable. When all the drivers were required to undergo sleep apnea screening, and those who tested positive were provided treatment, the authors looked at the cost differences before and after for each of the drivers who tested positive, 
the cost differences between those who are adherent to treatment versus those who are not treating their sleep apnea as prescribed, as well as the cost difference between those who screened positive and those who did not. And what they found is that effectively treating sleep apnea saved the employer over $440 in medical spending every single month. When this trucking company required all drivers to be screened for sleep apnea and offer treatment to those who tested positive, the company saved over $5,000 a year in expenses per driver, over $440 per month per employee. That's simply because by treating the driver's sleep, the rest of their health improved, and therefore it was a lot cheaper. That's to say nothing about other savings and crash rate reduction. And it's not just professional drivers, but Joe Regular Driver, who has a higher crash risk from untreated sleep apnea. One study from 2000 demonstrated that sleepy drivers with sleep apnea had a 13.3 times higher crash rate. One study of sleep questionnaires in over 4,000 drivers found significant findings as well. Particularly, the researchers found that having a moderate risk for sleep apnea based on the questionnaire, to clarify there was no testing performed in the study, having moderate risk for sleep apnea was associated with a 60% higher odds of being involved in a recent crash. But experiencing significant daytime sleepiness, as measured by a questionnaire called the Epworth Sleepiness Scale, the sleepy drivers were nearly 27 times more likely to have been involved in a motor vehicle crash within the last three years compared to the non-sleepy drivers. One 2019 study published in the Journal of Pediatrics looked at different factors that may influence a teenager's likelihood of driving drowsy. They found that over 47% of high school teens reported driving drowsy. Teens getting only seven hours of sleep during the school week were more likely to report drowsy driving. And teens with a delayed circadian rhythm, also known as an evening chronotype, were also more likely to drive drowsy. So what can we do about this problem of sleepy driving? Thankfully, these are all problems with solutions. Since sleep disordered breathing ranks among the most prevalent and the strongest risk factors for both daytime sleepiness and crash risk, it's a good one to target, and rightly so. A 2010 meta-analysis of nine other studies demonstrated that treating sleep apnea does wonders for driving safety. Specifically, the researchers found that after being assigned treatment with continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP, despite not verifying if the treatment was actually utilized, but just being provided a CPAP machine led to a more than 72% reduction in the risk of motor vehicle crashes. 72%. And this was most strongly driven by the significant improvement in daytime sleepiness. And this sleepiness was found to improve in many drivers after just a single night of CPAP. And in nearly all drivers demonstrated significant improvement in their driving performance within one week of starting CPAP. So back to that teaser I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. A 2018 study from the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety looked at over 7,000 crashes over a couple-year period in which drivers were asked at the time of the crash about their sleep the night before. They then compared the later-determined legal culpability for the crash. And after controlling for other factors like fatigue-related factors, driver-related factors, and the environmental-related factors, the total reported sleep time the night before the crash was the major determinant of whether the driver was found to be at fault for the crash. Specifically, compared to drivers who achieved at least 7 hours of sleep the night before, drivers were 30% more likely to be found at fault for the crash if they achieved only 6 hours of sleep. If the drivers achieved only 5 hours of sleep the night before, they were 90% more likely to be found at fault in the crash. When drivers involved in a crash achieved just 4 hours of sleep, 
they were 190% more likely to be found culpable for the crash. But when drivers achieved under four hours of sleep total in the 24 hours leading up to the crash, they were 1,410% more likely to be found at fault. So to summarize, what we experience during our intended sleep periods can have a dramatic effect on how we are able to live during the day. We've talked before on what a profound effect sleep can have on life and limb. And not just via direct health effects. The worse one's sleep, the higher the risk for other potential harm, like physical injury. And the worse one's sleep, the more challenging complex cognitive and motor behaviors can be like driving. So when individuals suffer sleep difficulty, they are far more likely to end up in a motor vehicle crash. AAA estimates over 325,000 crashes a year are due to drowsy driving, killing thousands of Americans every single year. And whether the issue is daytime sleepiness, short sleep duration, subjective poor sleep quality, the use of sleeping pills, and especially suffering sleep apnea, we see about a doubling of the risk of getting into a crash. And this risk exists whether you're an ordinary commuter or a professional commercial driver. And at least for the commercial drivers, we see enormous cost savings of well over $5,000 per year per driver when sleep disorders are screened for and addressed. Furthermore, even in non-professional drivers, there is a significant reduction in the risk of motor vehicle crashes once they are treated for sleep apnea. And if you want to dramatically reduce the risk of being involved in a crash and then being found at fault for said crash, the best thing is to regularly achieve 7 plus hours of sleep nightly. Even getting just 6 hours of sleep at night increases the likelihood of being at fault for a crash by over 30%. I've got a little freebie for you, so if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested, including some specific best practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrestedmd.com slash D-A-Y. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave us a review and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.